Welcome to the Chabad Around the World podcast. My name is Mandy Bressinger, and I'll be your host, taking you on an adventure every single week. Together, we'll fly out to remote places around the world to meet up with the Chabad emissaries, hear about their stories, their daily activities, and the inspiration that keeps them going on a daily basis. Uh, welcome everybody. Thank you. Thank you for coming and for joining. Uh, actually, I'm no stranger to Canada, no stranger to Montreal. Actually, although I was born and raised in uh, Brooklyn, New York, but I actually graduated high school in Montreal, in College de Rabenique du Canada, and that's about all the French I know, 6405 Westbury Avenue. And I think, to the best of my knowledge, I never heard of this place called Edmonton, to be very honest with you. And it seems like Montreal has a similar mentality to New York. If you're familiar with the, with the New Yorker picture, right? There's like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and then there's the Atlantic Ocean, Japan, and Russia, and that's it for the world. So in Montreal, there's a similar type of mentality. There's a Toronto and maybe somewhere uh, Winnipeg or something like that. And then beyond that, the world stops. But uh, at any rate, I did find out that um, Canada is, is larger. Uh, I do get a kick out of it when sometimes people, and following with that New Yorker mentality, they ask, like, where do you live? I say, I live in Canada. So he says, uh, we're Alberta. Oh, it's, uh, I'm at, how far is that from Montreal? I said, well, it's about four hours. Oh, not so, not so bad. By plane. And then, you know, after they regain consciousness, uh, you know, I explained to them that uh, Canada is the second largest country in the world. But... Um, uh, at, at any rate, um, uh, there is a, um, a vibrant and active Jewish community over here, much smaller, obviously, than in most other places. Interestingly enough, the oldest Jewish day school in Canada is right here in Edmonton. Edmonton, Alberta. It's called Edmonton Talmud Torah. It's a very traditional school now. It's under the Edmonton Public School Board. They have about 130 kids there. But it's actually the oldest Jewish day, day school in Edmonton. In, I'm sorry, in Canada. And the Edmonton Jewish community goes, is over 100 years old. Uh, there's, we have the tradition, like one of everything, you know, Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, and Chabad, you know, just to balance everything out to keep it a normal community. And um, the, um, it's, it's been a functioning community, you know, ever since uh, the late 1800s, early, early 1900s. <clears throat> there's officially 5,000 Jews here, but uh, my humble opinion, which some people know I value very greatly, uh, actually there's probably double that amount because there's a lot of hidden Jews, uh, a lot of Russian Jews, Israelis, uh, that you bump into them and they were on nobody's radar. And they came here to run away or to find uh, you know, the, 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 the treasure at the end of the rainbow or something like that. Uh, and, um, but the, the, the community is a, like I say, a, a, an established functioning community. The, uh, the, we like to joke around that the, uh, the weather is cold, but the people are warm. Uh, it could get, uh, in the height of the winter, it could get minus 40. I also love when people ask me, is that Fahrenheit or uh, Celsius? So those who know the truth know that there really is no, when you get to minus 40, they're actually the same. But I tell them when you get that cold, it really doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, we actually had a snap this, this past year for, uh, uh, it was minus 30 for like uh, two weeks. And um, <laughs> it was really cold. But anyway, we had one of the highlights we had this year was um, finally crawling out of the pandemic and so forth, we had a giant candle lighting ceremony at the legislature, at the Edmonton legislature. And we had about 500 people. And I see someone here has put on their logo is the New York Rangers. Uh, some of you may know that, and I'm not into hockey, so uh, I'm not gonna pretend I am, but uh, one of the uh, players 
is a gentleman by the name of Zach Hyman, who's from Toronto. His name is Tzvi Moshe Hyman. And we honored him with lighting. Uh, thank you. Thank you. A doll of a guy, a doll of a guy. Uh, we honored him with lighting the, uh, the giant uh, menorah at the legislature. We were lucky. It was November 28th. We had the, the weather was very, was relatively mild. It was only minus four. So we got away with it. And we had, um, we had the premier, we had the mayor, we had the minister of justice, we had the speaker of the house, and we had a whole host of uh, MLAs. And uh, then we had a 37 car menorah parade. And then plus with other cars, but 37 that had menorahs on. So all in all, we had about 500 people. It was really, really beautiful. So that was um, a real highlight. And um, yes, there is, there is life on, in Edmonton. We have uh, Baruch Hashem Chabad here has, has a daily minion. And uh, it's a struggle. We have, to make some, we have to make phone calls. But uh, as the old expression goes, you can run from Chabad, but you can't hide. Uh, the, actually, the Orthodox Synagogue also has a daily minion. And this, uh, um, we, we have gone through a very big challenge in the last year. There, some of you are familiar with West Edmonton Mall, which once upon a time was the world's largest mall. Uh, that uh, they no longer hold that record. That's because they built even bigger malls elsewhere. But be that as it may, they, there's the, fa the family that runs the mall is actually a, a religious family called the Gramazian family, a Persian, a Jewish Persian family, a religious family. And they were actually helpful in bringing Chabad here. And they started about 30 years ago, they started a kolel and they made a Jewish day school and a kosher pizza store and you know all the basic necessities for Jewish life. When the pandemic hit, uh, along with many other businesses, they suffered a tremendous, tremendous blow. And uh, basically, they told this, they told all the teachers in the school, and they were basically single-handedly supporting the school. Uh, and um, they were pouring tremendous amounts of money into, into the school. And they basically told the, all the rabbis that, uh, listen, in a year, we can only keep it going for another year. And, um, you know, everybody's going to have to find a place to go, which they did successfully, but it was a tremendous blow. And with that, when they closed, so the, a lot of religious Jews left as well. And um, the, the, the uh, Kolel, which they had also, which was independent of the school. I mean, they were tied together, but they were independent. Uh, the, all the rabbis left with the exception of one. There is one rabbi here. He's sort of holding down the fort. He also made, they also make a minion there. It's a Sephardi, Sephardi minion. It's downtown in another area. Uh, but that really took a lot. That really took, a, you know, ate out our kishkas, if you will. But the, the way we look at things is, you know, Chabad's going to be the last one to close the lights. And um, I try to look at it in a, in a broader sense. If you'll take a look what's happening around the world, uh, I think we can all agree that God is calling his children home. Because there, right now, as we speak, there's approximately 47% of world Jewry is living in Israel. And the shocking part is, in a positive sense, that this is the first time in about 2,500 years that we're boasting such numbers. We've never had so many Jews living in Israel since the destruction of the first temple. So I look at it as an indicator that uh, God is calling his kids home. And another interesting fact which we have is that if you'll notice that through 2,000 years of exile, uh, Jews, yes, Baruch Hashem is correct. Uh, for 2,000 years, Jews have never, ever left the country because they wanted to leave. They were either chased out, they were forced, economic, physical, spiritual, you name it. This is the first time in Jewish history, I should say in, in, in 2,500 years, that Jews are voluntarily picking themselves up, moving away from Long Island with their three-car garages, and then moving to Israel on their own because they want to be there. It's unexplainable. Because, um, you know, to deal with Israeli bureaucracy, 
It's uh, basically giving a, giving, a, a headache, a giving a headache to an aspirin. It's not easy dealing with Israeli bureaucracy. But nonetheless, they're still moving. They want to be there. And it's amazing what's happening. So uh, we look at the broader at the broader picture. Some people are stopping off in Montreal and Toronto till they get there. But that's basically what's happening around the world. So I think that all smaller, the, 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 the small to medium-sized communities are starting to shrink. I don't know of any growing communities in, in North America from the small and medium ones. Yes, the larger communities are obviously holding their own and even growing in certain pockets. But interestingly enough, actually, as far as countries are concerned, believe it or not, there are only two countries in the world that have growing Jewish populations. Okay, everyone, fine, thank you. You know that Israel is, is, is the first one. You know the second one? Get a free Coke Rabbi, from Rabbi Bressinger. Ready for this one? <laughs> Germany. Get it away. I saw. <laughs> oh, I, saw, I told you we practiced this. Yeah. Germany. <laughs> He's a plant in the, in, in the audience. Uh, Germany is the only other country, uh, or the only country outside of Israel that has a growing Jewish community. Uh, humbly submitted, I think it's a temporary bubble. I think it's God's way of showing that you want to destroy my people, I'll show you. Uh, and eventually, you know, they'll pick themselves up and, and they'll leave. But uh, all other countries, United States, where again, I was born and raised, I remember growing up, uh, we always knew there were 6 million Jews in America. Now the official statistics are 5.2. Now where 800,000 Jews disappeared to, I don't know. Uh, the truth be told is I think they're still there. They're just not identifying as Jews. So that's where Chabad comes in, where, you know, we chase after the Jews. And, uh, we All the way to... till the end of the rainbow. In Edmonton. That's right. You can run, but that's you can't hide. And I love that. We have that line here. We actually have a Ron. That we, uh, that's the uh, run, but you can't hide. But this is, we, we packed in so much in, in this. And uh, I think we, we come away with understanding that there's a vibrant Jewish community in Edmonton. We can't say it's growing because that's, that's not a, a fact about most Jewish communities. But you definitely, there's, there's a vibrancy to the point that there's two shoals to choose from. I mean, that, that, that makes it sound pretty Jewish. And uh, there's, there's a lot going on and, and you sound super excited about it. So if we could just backtrack for a moment. You mentioned you grew up in Brooklyn, New York. It sounds like you grew up in the in Chabad uh, circles. Is that, and, and you went through the Montreal yeshiva system. So how, how did it come to a Chabad kid from Brooklyn going to the mainstream Jewish schools? How did Edmonton actually end up on your radar? So um, what happened was after, uh, I, yes, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I studied, then graduated high school in Montreal. Then I studied for, in Israel for a year and then went to uh, Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, then went for two years uh, on uh, Bachram Shlichut, when they send out Bachram to go to places to New Haven. Uh, then I went back uh, to New York, you know, join Chabad and see the world. Um, there I got married and I went to uh, Kolel, which... Uh, the, the fancy name is Postgraduate Research Center for Married Men. It really sounds uh, impressive. Uh, but anyway, we continue learning after we get married. It's, it's another way of saying that your wife works and uh, you just live off the fat of the land. Um, but uh, so I did that for, for two and a half years. And then we were, we were looking to go out to, uh, you know, to go out on Shlichut. And I remember saying that uh, my, uh, my, my parameters are going to be North America. Okay, I mean, I spoke to God. We're on a first name basis. I call him God. He calls me Ari. And I said, I'll go anywhere in North America. And somehow I heard an echo. Did you say anywhere in North America? <laughs> Have I got a place for you? And um, so what happened was there was already Chabad in, in um, Calgary, Rabbi Matasov, who's the uh, head rabbi for the, for the province of Alberta. 
So he was looking to expand his activities in the province. He was doing satellite programs here in Edmonton. So he came to New York and he interviewed different, um, different couples. Uh, we were ready to go because I had finished the call already. And uh, so he basically asked us, would you like to come in? This was before Rosh Hashanah in 91. So he said, would you would be willing to come and check out uh, Edmonton? So we said, yeah, why not? So we came out and we came out in October. And I remember till this day, it was cold. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't cold. It was freezing. And uh, I remember the, the door to the car, I had to, which I had to put one foot on the door and the other one to yank it open. And I'm saying to myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? So I actually went for cold therapy. Uh, what I did was, I, cold therapy means I, I spoke to another shliach who lives in a cold climate, someone in, uh, in Minnesota. And I said, I tell you, after staying here for two weeks, you know, people are very, very nice. It's really a great place, but I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I can't, uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very concerned about the cold. So he answered me a one-liner, which till today sticks with me. He says, either you get it or it gets you. <laughs> and I, I found that to be uh, re really a very, very telling, a very poignant statement because it really applies in, in any sphere in life. Are you going to look at, are you going to look at things, you know, straight in the eye, head on and take them on? Or are you going to be intimidated by them? And I'll be honest with you, till today, I can't stand the weather, uh, the cold weather. Actually, now it's sunny. It's beautiful. We have, actually have, Edmonton has more sun, more sunlight than anywhere else in North America. We have up to 17 hours of sunlight in the, in the height of the summer. So it's, we, uh, Shabbos comes in 10 to 10. It goes out 11, 15. And it's, it's a machaya because, you know, you can, you can finish Shachris. And you can go to sleep and, uh, you know, you feel like you woke up on Tuesday and it's still Shabbos. I mean, it's that, that's how late it is. And um, so it, it is a nice place. And um, it's been home for us. Uh, um, uh, uh, our, our, uh, many of our children were born here and, and, and raised here. And um, our first two children were born in New York before we came here. But the people are very nice. It is a very, it's a very kind, kind-hearted community. It's a community that has a strong spirit of volunteerism. People wear many, many hats. They belong to many different organizations. And that's how we make things go. And, and um, Baruch Hashem, it, it's, uh, uh, it's, 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 a very, it's a very special, it's a very special place. And coming from a place like New York, which uh, it's a rat race. What can I tell you? It's, you know, the noise, the pollution, whatever. So at, yeah, I found that Edmonton had, all the amenities of a big city without the hassle of a big city. I remember one of the things which was so surprising to me. Uh, first, when we came here, obviously I, I wasn't Canadian. I had, paper, I had paperwork for land to, to uh, work on a, on a clergy visa. You know, from the time I landed till I got my clergy visa, it was 20 minutes. You know, this is unheard of in New York. I remember when I went to get my Alberta health card. So I walked into the office. I showed them my, my, uh, my, uh, my visa. And uh, she said, wait here. She came back five minutes later. She gave me temporary, my family temporary cards. And I said, okay, what happens now? She says, have a nice day. I, I can't be. I'm used to, you know, you deal with the New York, uh, New York City uh, Department of, of Motor Vehicles. They send you to this floor and to that floor. Come back tomorrow, this one, that one, till you go. Oh my God, three months till you get uh, anything done. And it was like that with anything. I got my license. You walk in five minutes later, it's, it was what you call in, in Yiddish a machaya. So um, that's the mentality. It's much more relaxed, much more easygoing. Um, Rabbi Bressinger said, you know, interesting, if I could point out an interesting point about, uh, let's say, divine providence. We came here four days before Hanukkah. 
So we wanted to make some sort of a splash. I mean, how much could you already plan? Yes, Chabadniks are, are last minute. That is that is true. I always joke around. Chabad, God created the last minute so that Chabad rabbis can finish their work. But uh, so we went. It was four days before Hanukkah. Decided, you know what? Let's go to uh, uh, let's go to the JCC, and uh, we'll make a little program over there and so forth. So we're going walking in the JCC, and I felt bad. I didn't have a car menorah. I felt terrible. You know how you go? You're you're a shliach. You don't have a car menorah. You know you. You know, they're not going to believe you that you're a Chabad rabbi. Um, uh, by the way, you know, I'm not much of a drinker as far as it comes to alcohol. And uh, so they, there are a lot of people who still today don't believe that I'm truly a Chabad rabbi. So we have other shluchim here, Baruch Hashem, and they make up for it. So they say, okay, at least he hired someone that's a real Chabad rabbi. But um, at any rate, so I'm walking to JCC and we see a young couple, uh, at that time, not yet religious, as we call them in, this, um, in, in our jargon. And we check up a conversation. And I said, you know, I we just came to town and, and uh, you know, I feel bad that, uh, uh, that I don't have a menorah on my car because that's a hallmark for Chabad. He says, uh, he said, I may be able to help you out. He says, really? <laughs> How are you going to help me out for with, with a car menorah? He says, I'm expecting one to come in the mail. You know, I, I thought, was this guy a comedian or something? What, what, what do you mean? You're, you're, you're here in Edmonton, Alberta, and you're expecting a menorah to come for your car in the mail when, right, when I'm asking for it. I mean, what's... Uh, Anyway, to make a long story short, I mean, God does have a sense of humor. I get a call about 24 hours later. He says, come and pick up your menorah. So are you for real? So I come over to his house. Sure enough, he had a simple, basic uh, car menorah. And he says, I can borrow it for four days because he wanted it for the other days. Just a story within a story. I was driving once to a, a park in my car. It was the fourth day of Hanukkah. So the, the guy, the attendant at the, um, at the car park said, that's a very nice candelabra you have, Rabbi, but half your lights aren't working. So um, at any rate, so what was the story? What was the story with this, with this gentleman? This, this uh, couple, um, she, he's an accountant. She's a doctor. She graduated med medicine in Montreal. So they were in, uh, they were in Montreal when they first got married. They may have been living there for, 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 for a short while. I don't remember the fine details over there. And they were, they were driving around and they noticed a car with the menorah on top of it. It was Hanukkah, obviously. So they, uh, they said, wow, that's that. You know, because uh, they're both from Alberta. Who ever heard of a menorah on top of a car? I mean, this is something science fiction. You know, even Steven Spielberg didn't think of this. And they decided they want to follow this car. So they follow the car, they follow the car. And finally the car pulls up in the Jewish neighborhood, in the Chabad neighborhood in uh, Montreal. And uh, they get up, they pull up behind the car. Who is it? It's Rabbi Mendy Rosenfeld, right? You guys know Rabbi Mendy Rosenfeld? So they, they, they get out, they, they, so they see, he sees them, they, they see him, and uh, they introduce themselves. He's like, what's this? Wait, Hanukkah, this and that. So he says, by the way, we're having a Hanukkah party tomorrow. He says, really? He says, yeah, we'd love, you to, we'd love for you to come. Why not? A young couple, <laughs> free food. It can't go wrong. So uh, they, if I can just put in Rabbi Mandy Rosenfeld, he's the now directs uh, the Beth Rivka. I might be more familiar for the uh, for us there, the Beth okay. Rivka Girls School. Yes. So, um, so his uh, so, so they they say okay tomorrow night come seven thirty whatever it is you come to our house is having a big Hanukkah party. Okay. Sure enough, they come the next day seven seven thirty. They pull up. They knock on the door. They don't see, it doesn't seem too, too busy outside. Maybe they're the first ones. They knock on the door. The Rosenfelds open up the door and they say, is this, uh, is this the party? He says, yeah. He says, where's everybody? He says, everyone's here. Come inside. And they started building a relationship. 
when they, uh, and they, it was a private Hanukkah party. They didn't promise them they'd have a whole crowd. They said, this is a Hanukkah party. The Chabad rabbis don't lie. They just don't tell you the whole truth. So they, um, so he said, that, that he's talking uh, about Hanukkah. He said, would you like, so he asked him, would you like a menorah for your car? Like I have on my car. So he said, yes. So he said, fine. I'll say this was, I think the previous year, it wasn't, I don't think it was that year because this happened obviously on Hanukkah and we met them before Hanukkah. So it was, it was a year ago. Prior. He says, fine, next year I'll send you a menorah. Little did I know that God is moving around the pieces of the puzzle so that Chabad would arrive, you know, November 28th, 1991. And meantime, in 1990, they had met the Chabad rabbi in Montreal and he was going to get ready to send them a menorah next year so the Chabad of Edmonton should have a menorah on top of his car. Of its car. Wow. Wow, so, what an incredible story. And uh, Baruch Hashem, this family became, and not just through Chabad, he also got involved with the school and so forth. They're now a completely from family. The son, his name is Menachem. He was just installed as the Rav in a big shul. In, in, it's called Eishat Torah Shul in Denver. He's a Rav, a Shaychet, a Moyal, a Seifer. Very, very nice, um, very, very nice uh, family. I'll tell you a little secret, humbly submitted. He was taking the speaking lessons. He was, was taking Dale Carnegie's speaking lessons because he's learned to be a rub and so forth. And they told him, outside of your parents, we want you to write who was the most, inf who was, had the most influence on you in your life. And he ended up writing us a nice letter. He wrote to them and then he wrote to us to let us know that it was Chabad. Chabad had the biggest influence on his life. So till today, even though he's not, he's not a Chabadnik, uh, not fully yet, but he puts on tefillin. They say, that's usually the sign. You can tell the guys that they've been roped by Chabad. So him, his father, they put on tefillin like Chabad, you know, with the Shein on top or whatever. That's our, you know, that's our, our stamp of approval that they've been. What you, so anyways, the whole family grew, Kenaina Haren, and all the children are, are from it and, and so on and so forth. So it's a real, uh, it was a very interesting um, uh, Baruch Haba, if you will, a welcome to the, uh, uh, you know, to the community. And uh, well, I'll tell you one other story, so to speak, connected with this. This was the first year we came Hanukkah. So we made something in the JCC. We had 40 people, which was, you know, for four days notice, not so bad. Uh, the following year, we knew we wanted to make a menorah. Now, I know about building a giant metal menorah like I know about the sewer system on the moon. You know, not, they don't teach you this in, in, in yeshiva. So I... Um, Anyway, also by a series of coincidences or Ashkacha Pratis, as we call it, we met this one and he had friends. He was, he's into scrap metal and he had, to make a long story short, uh, the, following we, the following year, we built Alberta's largest menorah, 21 foot steel, 6,500 pounds. And we had, oh, so that, that's building the menorah. Now, how do you get it onto the legislature? So again, by Ashkacha Pratis, we had um, a guy who was a car dealer, but he was also very well connected with politics, with the politicians. And I told him my dilemma, I want to get to where he could. He picked up the phone and he called his, he called the premier, then it was Don Getty, the premier of, of Alberta. And he put him right away in touch. He said, tell the rabbi to go and meet this and this person, his representative. So I went down with another guy, a Jewish guy who's a lawyer. Those the lawyers, they have the fancy ties. You know, the rabbis don't have that. So uh, we went down, we told him exactly what we wanted to do. And till today, Baruch Hashem, it means we take it down, but uh, it's there uh, every year. The first year we were there, the premier himself came out. I'll soon explain uh, what happened. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Don Getty, the premier, he approved the menorah. After he approved the menorah, he stepped down from being premier. But the menorah was already approved. Not that anyone went against it, but he was the one that had the connection with this 
uh, with this wealthy Balabas, the, 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 car, the car dealer owner. And uh, that later on, they elected Ralph Klein and uh, longest serving uh, uh, premier. And, um, and he came down to the candle lighting ceremony. We had about 400 people. We were on the front page of the Edmonton Journal. The Edmonton Journal is like, uh, I don't know, Montreal Star, Gazette, whatever it is. It was the main paper. We were on the front cover. And uh, that was, so to speak, our introduction to the community. You know, we were able to, uh, that's how we got, uh, um, that's how we got uh, to the, oh, wow, how'd you do that? <laughs> that's good. Oh, we practiced this. Well, I'm impressed. Good. I'm impressed. <laughs> so we had actually, uh, yes, Zach Hyman came and he, um, he lit the menorah. And this year what was interesting was after he lit the menorah, he had a game the next night or two nights later, whatever it was. And at, uh, I don't know, it was halftime or quarter time, whatever it is, they showed clips of him lighting the menorah at the legislature. So I don't know, they guesstimate hundreds of thousands of people watched the game. So it was mamish, it was unbelievable. So Hanukkah was really something that put us on the map and with God's help, it's, uh, it's keeping us on, on, on the map. Um, and as time went on, Baruch Hashem, we brought out another two shluchim. We have a youth director, Rabbi David Pinson and his wife, and we make one of the highlights, at least pre-pandemic, we make, and I don't know, it could be, I'm still waiting to find out if we're being challenged, we make what I believe is the largest Purim party in Canada. We have about 500 people that come to the, to the party. Uh, I heard in Hamilton they may make something similar. I called Chabad at Flamingo in, in uh, Toronto. They told me 400 they have. I don't know, Montreal, any larger parties than 500? I need to know if we have to break any more records. But um, this is, uh, Baruch Hashem, it's a very nice, we do it in West Edmonton Mall, where the Gamazians are. We have a kosher kitchen there and they have a big thing. So these are some of the highlights of the, you know, the bigger programs, if you will, um, uh, that we do. And that's the way we, that's the way we schlep Jews uh, in, into the picture. So it's, um, it's like I say, it's a colorful place. People are, people are very nice. Okay. Like I said, the community is going through a lot of changes. There, there are a lot of uh, the, uh, yes, so oh, parachutes and a car menorah. So what I did here, you're reminding me. Uh, after the ceremony, so uh, I went up on a, there we go. Oh, wow, boy, this guy is good. <laughs> I think I want to come back. Um, we went up on the cherry picker here. We go up uh, 21 feet to light the menorah. After we went up to 21 feet, so we asked the guy, take us higher, and we ordered 250 parachutes. And the parachutes had attached to them menorahs and dreidels. And Zach Hyman, I call him Tzvi Moshe, that's his real name, uh, we threw them out from the cherry picker, and the kids all, you know, all excited. There we go. Oh, boy. Maybe, I don't know. Can, can I show this video? Yeah, by all means. By all means. Okay, here we go. Let's see if it works. It's a short 30 seconds. <laughs> Okay, Johnny, let's get ready with those parachutes. Okay, legs rolling us back. We're gonna go yet higher, and then we started throwing out the uh, uh, the parachutes. If you ever do it, make sure you untangle it first. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> oh, the video right stops better. there. A good time, yeah. Well, there's more in, in different, uh, you know. Okay, have to find, okay. Yeah. Incredible. Wow, what an original idea. That's incredible. So we have flying menorahs, flying dreidels in Edmonton. And, and what an incredible story to know that the menorahs were on display during the game. But just to hear that whole ripple effect of the mitzvahs, 
from the menorah car, the menorah top of the car in Montreal that led to the Jewish family being invited into a Jewish home and then taking the inspiration and bringing it back to Edmonton and then getting through the car menorah and then leading that inspiration to their own home in Edmonton, raising a family of children which are now proud Jews and learned Jews and are themselves serving as rabbis and as shochet and sofer and inspiring others in Denver. Look at what one mitzvah, one menorah from Montreal led to hundreds of more mitzvahs and it's still going. The mitzvah story is not over. What an incredible inspirational story of definitely of a ripple effect. We always like to focus in on those stories of the ripple effect from just one good deed, one mitzvah. And what a beautiful story that was. Thank you so much, Rabbi Ari, for sharing that with us. It was such excitement. I feel like I was there. <laughs> That's great. Let, let's backtrack a bit. So you mentioned you come to Edmonton. This is 30 years ago, 1991. And your first, uh, your first uh, project, if you will, or the first mitzvah that you bring in is, of course, is the menorah with 40 people, and now it's growing to Purim parties of 500 people, and that's over 30 years of hard work, sweat, and tears, and uh, I'm sure that comes with many stories along with that, but what is the Jewish community like in Edmonton? You mentioned it has the oldest Jewish uh, day school, remember you mentioned that in the beginning. Where did the Jews come from? Uh, how, did they, how did the Jewish community build up in Edmonton uh, from the onset? How, how old is it? Well, most Jews come from what we say, you know, very simply from Minsk and from Pinsk. Uh, a lot of Polish Jews came, obviously, typical story running away from, uh, you know, from, from, from the darkness of, um, of Europe. Uh, the, the first Jew came in, in the uh, late 1800s uh, on his own, and then whatever brought his family. By 1906, I think he, the first Jew came in 1894, 1896. By 1906, they already had an established shul here known as the Beth Israel, which is still functioning. By 1912, they built the first shul. So they were quite progressive. The shul cost $12,000 back then to build. Remember, 1912. And uh, it had the traditional, you know, upstairs were the women, downstairs the, the men. And they had a, uh, you know, mikvah. And uh, the, the rabbi was a shochet, the mole, and, and so on and so forth. And it's, again, it's, it, it was then, and it's, it's still an Orthodox synagogue. They have, uh, they have a, actually twice daily minyan. The minion chakras and the minion for the mincham and chamayr, depending on what time of the year, uh, still going. Kenai Nahara. Uh, again, like the rest of the community, there's they've gone through a big hit in so, insofar as a lot of people have relocated, Montreal, Toronto, or Israel. And um, generally speaking, we all know this is affecting all religions, but very acutely the Jewish religion. Uh, the younger people are not interested in organized religion. I guess they prefer disorganized religion, but uh, a lot of people not sure goes anymore. They don't, uh, you know, it's it's not their thing. So um, we obviously try to make food front and center. So anybody, um, well, uh, uh, Davida, take that frown and turn it upside down. Uh, because what we do is uh, actually we have MBC here every morning. It's called Men's Breakfast Club. And we offer fresh food coffee. You can get Turkish coffee. You can get Folgers. You can get, that's better. Thank you. Uh, you get every, we can have a whole coffee tasting thing. And we have, we, we serve a breakfast, which is basically leftovers from Shabbos, but they don't know that. Uh, and it's amazing what you do when you put in soy sauce. They, they won't know the difference. Um, and we call people. I, I have everything, you know, it's, it's by nudging people. So uh, one of the sort of the secrets of Chabad, if you will, uh, you don't have to do this in Montreal, but in Edmonton, you have to do this. So I have here what we call the, uh, the minion list. You know, I'll put it a little bit closer over here. And you see, you have, su you have Sunday through Friday. And um, uh, not everybody on the list, but many people on the list get a free phone call the night before. 
And if they don't answer often enough, I just block my number. So they think it's, you know, who knows, somebody telling them that they're about to win something. And I remind them that davening is tomorrow and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then we need them and, and so on. And they tell them they're the 10th. Then I call the next guy and tell him he's the ninth. You know, you work, you have to work the system. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we're able to, to hold on, hold on to our own. So um, the, 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 so they built the first, going back, they built the first shul in 1912. Now it's interesting because you see when the way a community is established, plays a major role on the atmosphere and the environment that the entire community is going to develop. So, for example, contrast Babylonian Jewry from 2,000 years ago with American Jewry. And I'm a third-generation Yankee, by the way, folks. Um, and with the immigrants, it's, I'm a fifth-generation Yankee. The, um, when the, before the Jews came to Babylon, what happened? Nebuchadnezzar, who had destroyed the first temple, he already took into exile la creme de la creme of the Jewish community of Israel. Why? Because he knew that if you take away the leadership, then the people are not going to be able to rebel. They're going to be, it's going to be easier to control them. So what happened was, unbeknownst to him, he was really creating a solution for the Jews. Because what did these people end up doing when they came to Babylonia? They established an infrastructure. So when the Jews ended up coming into exile after the destruction of the first temple, they came into an existing infrastructure. And that's why Babylonia became the longest running show on Broadway. That's where the Talmud was written. And the Jews lasted there for 1,500 years in Babylonia. There's no other Jewish community. Well, the Jews in you have Yemen and Iraq, so, I mean, Iran, but that gained such notoriety like in Babylonia. Now, freeze that frame. What happened in America? In America, you had three big waves. You had 1880, 1900, 1920. So who came to America? The Jews, which were running away from Poland, from Russia, from Ukraine, and so on and so forth. But America was a place where it's the golden of Medina, right? You leave your Judaism in Europe. That's for the old, that's for the old world. We're going to build a new world over here. So the, and the Jews were welcomed at least more or less, and they started to climb the economic ladder. So Jews, unfortunately, American Jewry, unfortunately, left their Yiddishkeit on the side. So America became a very, very secular country. So for many, many years, that's the atmosphere and the environment that the community, uh, that the community represented. It wasn't only till after the war, after 45, 46, when the survivors came and you had the Hasidic movement came over, even though the previous rabbi came before, but then the, the dial started to turn in America. And Hasidism took root and uh, you started to see the yeshiva system and, and so on and so forth. But until then, America was a very, you know, baseball hot, hot dogs, apple pie and Chevy. I mean, you're going after the American dream. You know, you'd be a Jew at, you'd be a Jew at home and you'd be a mensch on the street. That, that's, that was the mentality. That's just the reality. My Zaydi Oliver Shalom, he actually, he was, I, I have to have a little Pol Polish blood inside of you. So my Zaydi was some dumber, but my father's father, but the other three grandparents are, are American. So, uh, uh, so he, he, had a, he had a new job every week because he, he would get fired on Friday. He'd pick himself up to go home for Shabbos. And sadly, many of his employers were Jewish and they would say, Michal, Vigeste, where are you going? He says, of Shabbos. I'm going home for Shabbos. So they tell him, Kimnish Tzirik of Montik. Don't come back on Monday. So he didn't. 
And he got another job. He fixed umbrellas. He was a baker. He was a tailor. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and Baruch Hashem. And all his kids, seven kids in the years of depression, grew up to be from. That was uh, quite a quite an undertaking. So, and he wasn't, he was a clean-shaven guy. He was a Polish, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a big rabbi or anything like, he wasn't even a small rabbi, he wasn't a rabbi. He was just a dedicated Jew in America. So, um, Edmonton, and by the way, Montreal as well. Montreal also has a very, very strong traditional streak inside of it. Not necessarily deeply religious, but very, very strong in tradition, more so than Toronto. Again, the dial has changed because, uh, you know, Rene, Rene Levesque chased everyone to Toronto. So, but uh, the, the Montreal was always known as, you know, really stark in their, in their Yiddishkeit, in many, many respects, or at least in tradition. And that's the persona of the community. Edmonton started on that base, if you will. So the very first synagogue was an Orthodox synagogue. They made a Cheber Kadisha, Cheber Kadisha, the burial society, till today, till today, everyone buried in Edmonton gets a Tahara, purification of the body, gets Tahrichin, shrouds, and gets a simple pine box. No ends, no ifs, no buts. None of this thing with the mahogany, none of this thing with the, uh, you know, stereo woofers, hoofers, and, uh, you know, GPS, or none of that stuff. Everybody gets a plain, simple, and they don't, doesn't matter, men, women, doesn't matter which synagogue you belong to. You can't even get it for money. Why? Because when they established the Chavar Kadisha, they established it on this foundation. The Talmud Torah also, and by the way, the official motto of the Talmud Torah is Talmud Torah Keneged Kulam which means Torah outweighs everything. And that, so the, the, the school was founded on traditional values. Again, unfortunately, over the, over the years, it's become weaker because of the fact that um, they, they put themselves under the, public, the wing of the public school and they get money from the public school. So it's become more traditional. But still in all, they, have a, uh, they still maintain that traditional streak. So for many, many years, they had you know, they had kosher kitchen and they would they would say the blessing after meals and so on and so forth. So that's the nature of the community. And it's interesting because Edmonton has three daily minions, Rabbi. It's got the Chabad, it's got the Kolel, and it's got the Beth Israel. So now you can choose two shuls that you don't go to. You know, every jewel, you know, the follow-up for the, for the Jew who was on the island with the two shuls. The sequel to that is that he built the shul he doesn't go to first. Once he has a shul he doesn't go to, then he can build the one he does go to. That, that, then he's covered. So we have that. And by the way, the, you know, without getting political, the conservative also have a daily minion. Now they went Zoom. So it's going to be kind of tough to pull back because, trust me, if you can dive in Shimon Esri with your feet on the coffee table, sipping, uh, you know, a double-double, come on, you know, you're not going to fight the weather to go downtown to go to shul. I mean, you know, forget about it. Ain't going to happen. So, um, so now Calgary which is a sister city, 180 miles south, um, they only have two, two, uh, uh, two minions a day, two Orthodox minion, even though they're 50% larger than us. And I think the conservative there also has like one minion a day. So where we have, uh, you know, four and, and much smaller than them, they have three and they're, much, and they're 50% bigger than us. It's a mentality. It's, it's a mentality. Edmonton was established on a very, very rich traditional mentality. And it, Till today, we see the benefits of that. So it's, it's just an interesting um, sociological uh, insight as to the way uh, you establish something, 
You know, you know, the way you establish yourself, that's the way it goes further. And that's, uh, it's very fundamental in anything that we do, particularly when it comes to Yiddishkeit. And that's why, you know, the first thing you do, a child is born, you give him a bris, he doesn't understand why. But we inculcate the child with a foundation of Yiddishkeit. And if we take that approach, you will see that when the child grows up, he will always lean in that, in that direction. If we start with compromises, you know, wait till a kid grows up, he, he'll decide what he wants. Listen, we don't ask our kid what they want when it comes to math, science, and history. We don't ask them what they want when it comes to eating uh, breakfast, lunch, and supper. So likewise, when it comes to Yiddishkeit, if we put them on the right foundation, it's going to have an effect uh, later on as well. And that's, you know, till today, Edmonton, like I say, a lot of it has uh, subsided. It's, 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 it's withered, but uh, nonetheless, it's, it's still there. Uh, and what's interesting is a lot of times, you know, the shuls will struggle with a minion. You always have someone who's a center. You know what a center is? The tenth guy. Uh, more often than not, you'll call somebody, tell them, listen, I, I need you. It's, uh, you know, the tenth guy. And they'll come right. It, 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 they, they feel very passionate about it. You know, the shul has to have a minion. We, we got to keep it going. You know, so it's, it's, it's very, very humbling. And um, uh, so, so Baruch Hashem, we, uh, like I said, we, we have these daily meetings. We have Shabbos and Yom Tif. Uh, not, like I say, not as many as we, we, we've had in, in, in the past. But uh, we're going to just keep on plugging away. That's, that's all we can do. It's day by day. Put your right foot in front of your left, your left in front of your right, and you just keep plugging away. And when God decides that he's sending, uh, you know, the eagle's wings to pick us up and take us home, then, uh, <laughs> then we'll, we'll, we'll revisit the way we do things. But in the meantime, we're going to do the best we can. Amazing. Amazing. It's so much, so much excitement and inspiration coming from Edmonton. And it's so beautiful for us, I think, here in Montreal to hear about mitzvahs being done and the same struggles and challenges. We have them here in Montreal as well, but we, to see that, that mitzvahs are being done everywhere in the world, wherever you go, even in Edmonton, and, uh, and then to go back in history and hear about your grandfather and, and how he kept the Shabbos and wouldn't give in in the times of depression in America and raised seven children to go in the ways of Torah mitzvahs. What an incredible inspiration, you know, in the, going all the way back and then forward in Edmonton, but the mitzvahs that are being done there definitely gives us a greater oomph in our own mitzvahs that we do here, mitzvah by mitzvah, and the, keeping in mind the story that you said earlier about that. One minute door for somebody. Just, just take a vote. Definitely. Actually, while Rabbi Ari is, is uh, going to come back, I actually found the fuller version of so that. that. Rabbi, I was just saying that I found the fuller version of the menorah lighting, and I thought that would be a great way to end off. Uh, but before we watch that video, I found it on YouTube, and it's, a, it's just a few minutes longer. I think you get to see much more of the... Uh, throwing up the, the, the sending off of the parachutes. I wanted to ask kosher-wise, you're there for 30 years. What was the kosher scene uh, when you came? And what's the kosher scene today? I think after this Zoom, uh, as in every Zoom that we've had over the past two years, many of us are planning our where we're going. The first trip after after COVID, and I think by now we're already started those trips to some degree. And it's like, sounds like Edmonton is one place I want to come visit with the warmth. The weather doesn't sound so good, but now it's sunny and, and it's, See you and the excitement. I want to come to Edmonton. What can we expect for the uh, overall Jewish experience, specifically in the kosher arena in Edmonton as of today? Well, thank you. And by the way, yes, everyone is welcome. Just phone 4 Torah 4. Takes forever to dial, but you'll never forget it. 4 Torah 4 is our number. Uh, but you're all welcome to come anytime for Shabbos. We'll host you and we'll take good care of you. As far as kosher, we're um, very, very fortunate. We actually have a number of stores that have kosher aisles. Uh, we do not have a kosher butcher. Uh, we haven't had one in about 25 years. 
um, the, uh, but, uh, you know, we can get plenty of kosher meat frozen from, uh, from some of the local stores. There's actually four stores, believe it or not, that have kosher aisles. We get uh, meat from Montreal. Usually the groceries are next to a bank. So you go off, you take a second mortgage and then you go and you buy your meat. Uh, cause it is, it is pricey, but, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's part, that's part of the deal. Um, but there's pretty much nothing that you can't get, believe it or not. You can get just about everything. You can get chicken, you can get meat, not the same selection. And obviously the prices are higher. Uh, but, uh, you know, for Pesach also, they have pay, every Pesach is full. We bring in, we, we sell about 300 pounds of Shmura Matzah in, uh, in, in, uh, in Edmonton. We started off, excuse me, start off with 30 pounds in Alberta. <clears throat> and that's 300 pounds just in Edmonton, between Edmonton and in Calgary, it's it's uh, more like seven eight hundred pounds uh, that we that we bring in. So there, and, and plus they also let's. I remember when I went to Montreal, when I went to the high school, I remember going to the. I don't know if they're still around. Steinbergs are they still around? The the, the that a chain of stores called Steinbergs. You remember that? The uh, I, I don't, but I, I, I history. Don't, okay, they were like the same thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it just shows you how how far back this goes. I remember you were able to find potato chips. You know, wow, they had a. They had MK on them. Wow, what a big deal. They say today about 40% of all products uh, on the shelves in, in, in Canada are kosher. And like I said, there's almost nothing that you can't get in, uh, in, in, um, in, in Alberta, or for that matter, wherever you're traveling. So it is very easy to keep kosher. Unfortunately, part of the fallout of the pandemic we did have here for many, many years until uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, we had a kosher pizza store which was uh, supported and subsidized by the Germazian family. And when the cola left and the school closed down and the economic crunch hit, so the pizza store closed down as well, which is very sad because it was pretty much the only kosher eatery that we have. We do have a kosher bakery here, but interestingly enough, his clientele is not, aren't the Jews. 90% of his customers are non-Jews. His uniqueness, his, his attraction is He's dairy-free dairy and nut-free. That's his attraction. He's the only dairy-free, nut-free uh, bakery in, um, in, in, in Edmonton. And a lot of non-Jews patronize him. And because he's parv and whatever, so he's, I mean, he's a religious Jew himself. Him and his wife are on the store. He actually just this year uh, came under COR uh, Hechsher. Normally, they don't do that for, for restaurants or, or uh, unless it's a factory, but because of his longstanding relationship and so on and so forth, so um, they granted him that tesher, and one of the Chabad rabbis acts as the mashkiach. So he has, um, he has this bakery, and you can also, there's a little bit of an eat-in there if you want to buy some sandwiches, whatever. So there's no restaurants. Uh, we don't have all the, like I say, the amenities of the larger Jewish community, but we do have the necessities, well, with the exception, unfortunately, this year of, of uh, Jewish education. By the way, this is Talmud Torah school. They only go to grade six. They have about 130 kids. They go to grade six. And I mean, sadly, it's become a very traditional school. It's not, uh, it's not a very, it's not a religious school. So unfortunately, the, um, the ability for any growing family to remain here in Edmonton has become a very, very big challenge. And there's, uh, quite frankly, it's, it's um, very difficult to, um, to compete with a Montreal or with a Toronto. And another interesting uh, sociological uh, insight that you find with Jews, Jews love to stick amongst their own. 
those are the only ones we can fight with anyway. Uh, but they the Jews would rather remain clustered amongst their own. So long as they have the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and they have Bubi and Zaidi on either side, they love it. There was a time going back about 20 years ago where Edmonton had the lowest prices for housing, the lowest housing prices of any major city in Canada. You go back about 20 years ago for $250,000. This is 20 years ago. Um, you can get yourself a palace, a mansion. And we had the school, the Grammasians, when they were running it, they basically didn't charge tuition. I think the official tuition was $3,000 if you want to give it. Uh, you have obviously socialized medicine. That's all over Canada. And Alberta was the only, and is the only, I don't want to talk too soon, um, the, only, the only province that does not have provincial sales tax. We just pay GST. Um, may God spare us. The, uh, so it was a very, very attractive place for a Jew to come and, and build a family. But you know something? No takers. No takers. And I'm, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm, this is just the sociological reality. Jews love to remain where they're in their comfort zone. And they'd rather live in compressed, you know, conditions. I'll say a similar uh, situation. Uh, Milwaukee uh, has, um, th th they have what's called um, school vouchers. Very few places have them. Cleveland has it and Milwaukee has it. Basically, you can send your kid to a from school for free. It's exact for free. Now, the three most expensive things that a, um, a, a, a religious Jew has to face when raising a family in America, tuition, housing, and medical, right? All those things are through the roof. All those things, are, tuition is, is horrendous. Medical coverage is... It's terrible. Uh, and, uh, and housing is a fortune. So Milwaukee is Milwaukee has uh, school vouchers free. If you make less than a certain amount, then you got government medical coverage. And housing there till today for, depends which neighborhood you are, from anywhere from 150,000 to 300,000, you can live in a palace. Depending which neighborhood, one Jewish neighborhood is like in the West End, you get for 150,000, 175, you can own your own home. Now, 45 minutes away is a place called Chicago. Okay? 45 minutes, an hour. Chicago is a fortune with what do you call it? It's it's another New York hustle bustle and so on and so forth. Uh, housing expensive, tuition is expensive, medical, on and on and on. They try to attract people to come. Just, you know, hop over the border. Even if you want to go to Bubi, you know, for the weekend, no problem. You know, you're only 45 minutes away. Very few takers. And yet yeah. with all with all, with all, all the, uh, you know, negative take in Edmonton, we have an invitation from the rabbi himself. Open. Open invitation. Open invitation. So we're running yes. over and there's a bakery that's gluten-free, nut-free, sorry, and dairy-free. Talking about dairy, actually, I want to share on the, on the uh, we're coming up to Shabuas. And we're just... From this Zoom alone, I feel so excited about mitzvahs and about Shabbos and about kosher and about, you know, there's such an excitement in the air right now on the Zoom with so many mitzvahs being thrown around. And I want to remind everybody that this Shavuos is a very special time to hear the Ten Commandments. Of course, here in, I'm sure in Edmonton, there's big stuff being planned, but just for, for the, you know, before we have a chance to book a flight to Edmonton, I think Shavuos is already going to come and go. So I'm just going to put on the, uh, on the screen for a moment.
the, the uh, Ten Commandments are being read in Chabad, Zichron, Kedoshim uh, on Sunday. On Sunday, so keep that in mind. I have that over here. Let's put that up over here. Share screen. Sunday, there is June 5th. This Sunday, there is a very exciting uh, dairy party. So sorry about the bakery in, uh, in, uh, in Edmonton, but here we're going to have some dairy. Shavuos, Chabad, Zechitation, we're having a uh, 9.30 a.m. services, 11.15 is reading the Ten Commandments, and of course, uh, Rabbi Ari can share with us more, I'm sure, but we, we, the, the special uh, emphasis that we have that men, women, and child, as young as they get, and like you said so beautifully before about starting off them from day one and even earlier, uh, the way we set them up from the beginning, so we want to make sure everybody hears the Ten Commandments being read on Sunday in the shuls, talked about going to shul, another thing we, another mitzvah of making a minion. And uh, of course, that's going to be followed by a very exciting dairy buffet in the shul. So make sure to be there Sunday at 5215 Westbury. And then actually the night before that, there's a special custom we have to learn all night. So we have ten, the 10 talks uh, Saturday night with a delicious meal as well. That's June 4th, this Saturday night with 10 talks starting at 9 o'clock p.m., uh, including in the service and the kiddush and then beautiful talks by 10 different fascinating people from our shul. So this is all going on this Shavuos uh, to take place so we can have the same excitement that we're hearing from Rabbi Ari with all the mitzvahs here in Montreal. So Rabbi Ari, I'm, I'm actually going to share on the uh, chat because um, uh, we're running out of time over here. Uh, just share on the chat the YouTube uh, link to the uh, fuller version of the lighting of the menorah by Zach, by, uh, by uh, Hyman Zach, you said? Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman. Hyman. Okay, got yes, it. I was yes. getting right to left. Uh, I okay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I think you can see over the parachutes as well. That was an exciting story. I'm going to open up the floor if anybody wants to ask any questions here. We got a lot of nice feedback on the Zoom, uh, and on the chat rather. Anybody wants to ask Rabbi Ari from Edmonton any questions about anything uh, of the Jewish life there? Uh, Judy, did you want to ask? We. Uh... You're welcome Sorry. to ask, folks. I just say one thing about Shavuos, uh, which is beneficial. We start at one o'clock in the morning, and the re it's learning, and we finish at four. And the reason we do that is because Myriv evening services, which has to be at nighttime, you can't even take it in early because you need the 49 complete days from when you're when you're counting. Uh, the uh, uh, we dive in Myriv at 11 o'clock, then we go home to eat, so we come back to learn at, at one. And it starts getting light already at the 3 34 o'clock. So we have a condensed uh, learning program. So there's already a benefit to living in Edmonton. Uh, <laughs> I will have to say also during the heyday, which is again before people started to pack out, if you will, we used to have actually three minyanim in Edmonton. We would stay up a whole night. At the height, we had 30 people who would stay up a whole night. We would then walk. Uh, the Beth Israel, they have, they have a mikvah, they would let us use it. We'd come back, we'd daven chakras at 4 30. That would be the first minion. The second minion was 10 o'clock. And then we'd have an afternoon minion for like teenagers, people who didn't come to shul, et cetera, et cetera. So that was in the heyday. Now we're still going to have a minion, but uh, people come to learn. But I don't know if we'll have a minion at 4 o'clock in the morning. Again, that uh, a lot of people have, have relocated and so forth. But uh, just interesting uh, interesting insight right. about, uh, about you. You're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing in Edmonton. So cool. And that's, I, I understand that the minion that you're talking about is all about making sure that every man, woman, and child should hear the Ten Commandments. And again, that includes babies and everyone uh, from, from zero to 120. 
uh, should hear the Ten Commandments this Sunday, June 5th, make it your business to ensure that your entire family, friends, and everybody can try to hear it as well as possible, understanding that there's a lot of limitations with going outside and all that. But if it's a possibility, let's, uh, let's make it happen. If there's any way that I can make it more comfortable or more convenient for you here in Montreal, please email me, call me, let me know so I can see if there's a way we can do it in a safe way, in a way that you, you will feel more comfortable. And I'm sure if you're planning to be an Edmonton for Shavuos, Rabbi Ari can set you up. You've been invited by the rabbi himself. He always liked to get invitations and you did it. And we really appreciate it. And uh, definitely sounds like an exciting place. No matter what time of the day, it sounds like there's something going on. And uh, yes, we're some ice cream party Sunday at 11 o'clock. Oh, look at that. Okay. So we're going to have to see which ice cream is better. We're going to have to, <laughs> we'll have to get the, uh, the, we'll get back to you after Shavuos. David, do you want to ask a question? I think.